Well, tonight I'm going to open up to several different places in uh, the Bible. And, uh, and so if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and grab it. Um, and you can open first to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be there in a couple minutes. Um, if you don't have a Bible and you have a phone, the Bible app is a great tool that I use uh, on, almost on the daily um, for, for looking up scriptures or, or reading my, you know, plans that you can, you, can, you can have Bible plans that keep you on track to read through a certain book or a certain topic. And, um, and so the Bible app is a great tool. Uh, it's literally called um, the Bible app. I don't know. Is there a name for it? Version, version Bible app. Uh, it's a great tool. But we're going to open to Matthew chapter 6 first. Uh, but first, I wanted to, I have a, I have a, a thought that I kind of want to be the overarching thought for tonight. But before I do that, I kind of want to explain, a st- I want to I tell a story uh, of, of maybe something that will help illustrate this reality. I don't know about you, but I mean, like for me, like I, I when I go out of the house, like I, I'm, I'm putting on, I'm putting on like my best fit. Like I, I like clothes. Um, and, and like for this, like I'm not going to like show up looking like a scrub. Like I, I'm coming. I, I, like, I, I like clothes, right? And, and sometimes, sometimes I'll even forfeit comfort to, like, look, a, like, have a certain kind of fit, right? There's some, you know, some specifically, like, a pair of pants that I own. They're just, like, they're just not comfortable. Like, honestly, like, they kind of, like, hurt my waist. And, like, every time I get home, like, I love, like, changing into more comfortable pants. I don't know about you, but that's my reality. And so when I get home, uh, the first thing, the first thing when we walk through the door, we may have like groceries, we may have, we may have like dinner, we may have whatever it is. But with the first instant we walk through that door, it doesn't matter what we have. We're dropping it, we're going upstairs, and we're changing into our comfy clothes. Like that is the first thing that I do every time that I get home because that's just like, it's my ritual. It is my ritual. I, I will go through seasons. I have a pair of sweats right now that are like literally my favorite sweats. I, uh, I've had them for like, I don't know, I probably should wash them. Um, but uh, they're not, they're not like dirty. They're just, I, I probably should just wash them. Anyways, um, but like, but that's just like a ritual for me and Amanda. Like we just go home, we get into our comfies, you know, and then it's like, it's time to sit on the couch, you know. And that's like a part of our routine, a part of our life. And it's something we look forward to every time that we come home, right, babe? Right. And, uh, and, and the reality is, that the reality is the reason that I do that is because home is, home is where I can kind of let, let the hair down kind of mentality, right? I don't have any hair to let down. Uh, but home is where I can be the realist me, right? The ho- home is where I don't have to put on a show. I don't, I don't feel like I have to put on a show. Home is where I can feel like this is who I am. I don't have to impress anybody. No one's looking like this is my home. I can be, I can be in my comfy clothes. I don't care what I look like. I'm at home, and, and this, is, this is who I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slouch in my couch. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to eat like nobody's watching. Uh, I'm going to dance in the kitchen like nobody's watching. Like when I'm home, I'm home. And, and, the, and, the, and the thing that I'm realizing with that is that is that's the real you. Because when you go to school, you, you instantly have this lens of like, I want to be popular. I want people to see me a certain way. Instantly, when I go to practice, I, 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 I'm in a different mode. I, I want to I impress. I want, when, I, when I go out, I, I instantly, I don't even, it could be a stranger, but I want, I want to impress. If I see a, a pretty girl or if I see a dude that I'm like, wow, you know, like whatever it is, when you walk out the door, you have different lenses that you put on, and now you have this lens of like, I'm maybe going to act a little bit different. 
I'm maybe going to do something a little bit different. I may even talk different. And I'm not, I'm not encouraging that, but that's somewhat of a reality because when you're home, you're home and you let all your guards down. But when you go out of the house, you, uh, you, you tend to put up these, these facades of like, I want to be this person. I wish I had this. I, I don't actually have a lot of things. And so I, maybe I wear the same thing over and over again because I just want to be, I, I, it's the only thing that I can really fit in with or whatever it is you put on these lenses when you walk outside the house. And, and I, I, I am more than ever, like, challenged and convinced that, like, God doesn't, God, God can't really do a whole lot with this fake you. God can't do a whole lot with this person that you're trying to pretend to be. And, and this is the reality that I, I want you guys to, to maybe focus in on for tonight, is that God wants to connect with the real you. God wants to connect with the real you. And the second thing is that God wants to use the real you. He wants to use you for, for, for showing people the love of God. He wants to use you to help other people find freedom and maybe what you found freedom in. Maybe you've struggled with anxiety or struggled with depression or, or struggled with something that you know somebody else is struggling with. And maybe God wants to use you to help somebody else get out of the pit that they are in. But let me, let, me, let me tell you tonight, may you, may you leave here knowing that God, God wants to connect with the real you. God wants to use the real you. And so tonight I want to talk about something that I kind of like to phrase private over public. And so if you're taking notes, you can put that on the top or you can put that somewhere. But private over public. Private over public. And speaking of the real you, I believe that every single person in this room, you have a purpose. You have a purpose given to you by God. And, and there's a lot of things in this world. There's a lot of people that will tell you that your purpose is this or you got to do this to find your real purpose. Or you can only have purpose when, you're, when you have this much money or you have this much success or you, you're, you're this kind of person. And can, can I tell you that only God can give you true purpose. Only God can give you true purpose. But I think there's a, 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 a little asterisk that should go up against that, 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 that phrase of only God can give you true purpose. Because I think you can only walk in your true purpose when you're being the real you. The God, the God version of you. The one, the one where you surrender all your wants and all your desires to say, God, I want to be the version that you have of me. Knowing that the creator of life knows what's best for my life. And so purpose, man, I think so many of us, whether we know it or not, we just feel like, man, I just got no purpose. I got nothing to live for. I got no hope. I got, I got nothing. And I want to encourage you tonight. If you have breath in your lungs and you have a purpose designed by God, given especially for you, and he actually wants you to walk in it. But it's going to take stopping pretending, trying to be someone that you're not, and being the real person. Letting your guards down to be the real you, the God version of you. And so tonight, I want to look at a couple of passages that really focus on this idea of this, 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 this private over public. There's such, a, there's such an idea in our world, whether it's on social media or um, just on the topic of influence or whatever it is. But there's just this idea in our world, and it's just, we see it everywhere. It's, it's reinforced everywhere we go that, 
Like the, the only way to find purpose, the only way to find influence is to, to build your platform and, and to be recognized by a lot of people and, to, and to, 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 be, to be seen on this public platform. That's why people want followers. It's why people want likes, whether you say it or not. It's why you want some of these things that the world just goes after and pursues. But there's an idea uh, that's contrary to the world and that's God's way of doing things because really the people that God lifts up and gives influence and platform are the people that actually have a deep private relationship with Jesus. Because I'm, tell- I'm telling you, I love that you guys come here. It's really great that you come here to worship and open up your Bible. But if Jesus isn't enough for you in your bedroom by yourself, then Jesus is never going to be enough for you anywhere. I'm telling you, some, some of our relationships, and I've been here, and I, I often come back here, and I have to remind myself that my relationship with Jesus cannot be built solely upon coming to church and doing the right things and, and having uh, Christian, Christianese in my language or, or having certain things in my bio or, or all these actions that if I do these things, I'm a Christian. Or I grew up in a Christian family, so I'm Christian. That's not actually what it means to follow Jesus. And so God has this different way of doing things where it's, it's less about this public, this public increase or this public recognition, but it's about the deep, when no one's looking, is Jesus enough for you? Private over public. So if you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 6. Verse, 13, verse 6 to verse 13. And I want to highlight a certain phrase in here that I believe is really important for us to maybe kind of catchphrase and maybe make part of um, our mindset and, and something that we think of often. I know I do this for me. But Matthew chapter 6, starting uh, in verse, actually in verse 5, it says this. And I'm going to read a couple scriptures and they all kind of have this concept or, or some kind of principle that's going to point back to living this, this relationship with Jesus that if everyone else were to quit, And if everyone else were to leave and everyone else were to give up, that I still would have a relationship with Jesus regardless, this private over public idea. And so Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5, Jesus is actually preaching. This is his sermon on the mount. It's it's the most famous sermon in the entire world and all of history. But he talks about how to pray. But there's this concept, this principle before it that I think is really important for us to catch on. So verse 5, it says this, and when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They got what they were looking for. They got recognition. They got, they got maybe people were impressed by them because they were praying on the street corner out loud for others to hear. But Jesus says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. And pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. If you're taking notes, the phrase that I want you to catch here, that it was my word for the year last year, and it's something that's just kind of marked the way that I see my relationship with Jesus. Shut the door. If you're taking notes, write down, shut the door. And by that self, it doesn't really make sense. But in this this concept, I want you to, when when you think of shut the door, I want you to think of this verse where it talks about when, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. What's important here to recognize is, is this applies so much more than just to prayer. 
Now, it does apply to prayer. When you pray, it's not about other people hearing you. It's not about what you sound like. It's not about the words that you can conjure up. I think a lot of people think prayer is, well, I don't know how to pray. I don't even know what to say. It's, it's literally just talking to God. It's a really big deal because you're talking to the God of the universe, but it's really actually very simple and not a big deal in how you communicate to God. It's, very, it's, very, it's, it's, it's not a, a high bar of entry to talk to God. It's actually really, really low. He made it that on purpose. I don't have to say, dear God, I don't have to say certain things. I don't have to say maybe what I've heard growing up. I can, I can pray to God literally by just talking to him. God, I, I don't know what to do in this situation. God, I feel really lonely today. God, thank you. Thank you for providing money where I, I needed this money. Thank you. Like, I had, this only could be you. It's, it's, not, um, it's not about what you say or what words you say, but it's about your motivation. And it's this whole idea of what is your motivation because your, your why is really important. And so when your relationship to God, not just in prayer, but just your relationship to, your relationship to God in general, I, I, I want to have this, this, this idea of it's my relationship with God is, is, is good enough for me if I were to just shut the door, go into my room, and talk to God. That my relationship with Jesus is, is good enough for me. Like it's, it's sustainable enough for me that I don't need anything else. I don't need lights. I don't need a crazy song to jump around. Those things are awesome, but like I don't need those things. I, can, I could literally just be in this room by myself with nobody else. And that would be sustainable for me. That would be good enough for me. And I think a lot of us, when it comes to our relationship with God, and, and I'm not trying to bash on people who post scriptures and all that stuff. I do that too because I think it's really helpful for some people who need to be encouraged. But it's about your motivation. So when, you're, when it comes to your relationship with God, what is your motivation when you pray? When it comes to your relationship with God, what is your motivation when you post a scripture? When it comes to your relationship with God, what is your why? What is your motivation when you, when, you, when you say something about being a Christian? What is your motivation? What is your why? Because I know for me that sometimes when I'm feeling like I'm just sucking at being a Christian, <laughs> when I feel like, uh, when I have the thought of, and this is, a, this is a real thought, when I have the thought of like, I'm a pastor, and I feel like I'm not even hearing from God. That's not right. When really, no, it, it's, it's real. Because I go through seasons. I'm, I'm literally, uh, I, this is my job to be a pastor. I'm a, I'm a credentialed pastor by a denomination. Like they, they've said, yes, like you, you can preach the word. And, and yet sometimes I go through weeks where I feel like, like is God even there? Is he real? Is he doing anything in my life? Like, I don't, I'm, I'm like, I'm talking to a concrete wall here. And so sometimes when I'm in that place, I can, I can just go to social media and I can, and I can just, I can just like post a scripture that I like read to make myself feel better and then post it to make it feel like I'm, I've been in my word all week. When really I've been so discouraged that I don't even want to open this thing. And I know a lot of us, like whether it's on Instagram or, or, or what we say to people or even maybe how we worship in this room, that our motivation isn't a shut the door kind of motivation, but it's I want to be seen by people. I want to be recognized as a person who's in a good spot. But I think we need to, in our lives, learn to shut the door. 
grow in our spiritual disciplines. If you've never heard of spiritual disciplines, spiritual disciplines are things like prayer, things like reading your Bible, things like, things like silence before God, things like worship, singing songs. Um, these, are, these are things like spiritual disciplines. And I, and I believe the key to shutting the door is just trying to do these things. Even when you don't feel like it, even when you feel like it's not working, I'm just going to spend some time alone. I'm going to open my Bible. I'm going to read something, and I'm going to say, God, speak to me. What do, you want, what, do you want, what do you want me to learn from this? What, do you, what are you actually saying in this? I think we need to learn to shut the door. The second thing is this, and, and we can jump real quick. It's okay if you don't get there, uh, but just make sure you listen along. 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's toward the beginning of your Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 6 through 13 is what I'm going to read. And maybe you've heard of the person named David. David's a pretty famous person in the Bible, and, and he was known for being a king, but he also may be less known, but, but really what, he's, what he should be known for is that he was a shepherd. He did, he did the least, the, like the lowest thing on the totem pole, and that was being a shepherd. Shepherds were not viewed as high, high esteem or, or anything like that, but shepherds were viewed very, very low, and yet that's what he did. He tended sheep. And so 1 Samuel chapter 6, there's this story of, of essentially um, uh, this guy named Samuel coming to Jesse, and Jesse has a bunch of sons. Jesse is David's dad. And he comes to Jesse and says, one of your sons is going to be king over this nation. And so he comes to Jesse and his, and his sons and says, like, pretty much line up your sons. And so that's where we find ourselves in verse 6 when it says this. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely, or Eliab was the oldest, and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, catch this, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Verse 8, then Jesse called Abinadab, the next son, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema. Babe, these are really great names. We should think about some of these for our kids. Shema, Shema Wimberly. <laughs> Sorry if anybody in here is named Shema. Um, then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to, Je Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11, so, so Jesse's not even thinking of David, and this is why. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. Other translations say smallest. That word could be translated a couple of different ways, youngest or smallest. But. See, so he puts a butt in there. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. Why would you want to pick someone who's keeping the sheep? And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he, I love this, love this description of David. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. If they ever write a book about me, I hope that's put in there somewhere. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went somewhere else. Uh, to Ramah. <laughs> That's what it says. But essentially, this is what I want you to catch from this. And, and, and later, you may have heard of David and Goliath. It's pretty renowned even outside of uh, the Bible and Christianity. 
but David eventually goes and does this. So he goes from this youngest, smallest, looked down upon dude who, who there's no way he could be king, and yet God chooses him. Why? Because God doesn't look at your outward appearance, but he looks at your heart. And so what, what we get from that is that David's heart was in the right place. And I think that has a whole lot to do, And because this, this is the reality. God has given you a purpose, right? We said this already. God has given you a purpose, and he wants you to walk out that purpose. But it has to do with your heart. And so God wants to use you publicly, but more than that, he wants to connect with you privately. He wants to grow in, in, in your relationship with him privately when nobody's watching, when nobody's there. He wants to connect with you in that way. And for some of you, maybe, maybe you say, like, I'm not really a Christian, or maybe, you know, I've thought about it, but I'm just, like, not into this whole thing. And, and I believe, like, God doesn't work. I've tried it. I, I worship, but, like, nothing it really happens. And, and this, is what, this is what I believe about David that we often so miss is because I think he was chosen because of his humility. Humility is not a, not a pretty popular word in our society, but humility is a really important thing because I believe actually humility is what is the key for God to use you in a big way. And for some of you, you haven't even recognized that you even need God. You're so caught up in your way of doing things. You're, you're, you're so okay on your own. You're just in the spot of like, I don't even, like, why would I need somebody else? Like, I'm just fine. I'm doing okay. I don't need God. And yet, I believe, because David was tending the sheep, and that's, that's the second phrase I want you to catch on, tend the sheep. Because it was the lowest task, it was the, it was the, the, less, the least liked, it was the lowest on the totem pole. And I believe, man, God wants to use you, and he wants to use the real you. And he wants to use you to speak life over other people. He wants to use you to save other people. He wants to use you in really special ways. But some of you aren't even willing to do the lowest thing. You aren't even willing to, to, to give him anything. And, and, so, and so until you can give him that, until you can give him everything, he won't use you publicly, yet I think so often, and I'm, me included, man, I'm, I pursue the public route, I just, I just want, I want people to think I'm cool, and I want people to think I'm this, and I want people to think I'm that, and so I get so stuck, and because I have no humility to say, God, I need you actually to do what you've called me to do, that I actually, I make God not even want to be a part of it, because I'm so proud, and I'm so arrogant, like I don't even need God. James chapter 4 says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I believe God wants to use you. And what I love about tend the sheep is that when David was tending the sheep, what people don't know when they read this is that when he was tending the sheep, and we find out in the book of Psalms because he wrote most of the Psalms. And where did he write those Psalms? When he was tending the sheep. See, when he was tending the sheep, he was in the private moment with God. He did so much in those moments. He, he, he spilled his heart out before God saying, God, I need you. I'm desperate. I, I, I'm depressed. I mean, if you read some of these Psalms, they're, they're, they go from like celebration to depression in like 30 seconds. And, and yet David was just, he was real. He was humble. And God was enough for him when he was out by himself with just a bunch of sheep. 
And so in the same way, like David, I think what, what gave David the heart that was, that was worth choosing to be king was that he was out by himself, worshiping God, telling God who he is, having a relationship with, growing in him. And what he was doing is saying, I don't care what I do. I'm going to do it for God, and I'm going to give myself fully to him. That's called humility. And I believe that humility is what caused him to go on and defeat Goliath, be king over Israel, and do so many things for God because he was willing to do the least of the things and when he was doing that thing he was growing his private relationship with Jesus he was doing the private work so that God could prepare him for the public work he was doing the private groundwork so that God could prepare him for the public work of reaching people and being king and in the same way that God wants to prepare you but it's in the private moments tending the sheep it's in those moments where nobody's around God wants to prepare you so that he actually can prepare you for the next season where he's going to give you more influence and a platform to reach people, not for your glory, but for his glory. Finally, as, as, as the band, the whole band can come up, we're going to close. I'm going to say some more words, and then uh, and they're going to lead us in some worship as we close out tonight. But if you have your Bible, uh, turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. This is probably one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. John chapter 21. This is after Jesus rose from the dead, literally. He was dead. Now he's alive. He did that. So good, Reagan. So good. Cool. John chapter 21. You guys there? John chapter 21, you got it? It's all right if you don't. John chapter 21. Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He got put in a grave, and then that gravestone rolled away. He walked out. And right before Jesus died on a cross, he, he told Peter, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. When somebody asks you if you're a follower of me, you're going to be like, nah, I ain't a part of that. Like, I'm not with that dude. And Peter's like, nah, bruh. Like, I love you. <laughs> like, I'm following you forever. Ugh. There's no way I'm denying you. And Jesus says, no, you're actually going to deny me three times, and then a rooster's going to crow. Which, what a weird cue for that, but I think, it was, I think that probably means like morning. That's probably what it was. Anyways, not important to the, the point. <laughs> but Jesus says, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. And, and, and this is a fun fact. They think that the person, the last denial that uh, Peter, when Peter denies Jesus, was to it, like, like probably like a 12-year-old girl. So someone, like, it wasn't like a king or an official. It was just, it was a 12-year-old girl, probably shorter than him. Uh, and yet Peter was so afraid. He was so timid that he denied Jesus. Didn't want anything to do with it in that moment because he was, he's like, no, nah, I'm not a part of that. And then Jesus does his whole thing where he dies on the cross 
and then he is resurrected from the dead. And he has this moment with the disciples. And they're at, it's breakfast. Anybody like breakfast? Love me some breakfast. They're having breakfast. They're probably eating some fish. It's a terrible breakfast choice. <laughs> but here we go. John chapter 21. John chapter 21, verse 15, it says this. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? For, for just fun facts, so that this makes sense. Peter was Simon before he was changed his name to Peter. So there it is. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs feed my sheep. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Then it says Peter was grieved. And that may not, may not make sense, but in the original language, Jesus, for the first two, says, do you agape me? Right? So the New Testament's written in Greek, and so Agape is, another, is, is Greek for love, and there's a lot of words for love in Greek. And, and so Jesus says, do you agape me? And Peter goes, yes, Lord, you know, like I, I phileo you. Different word for love, not phileo fish. That's disgusting. But agape was this like, this big love, this unconditional love. Like no matter what you do, I love you. And yet Peter was this like, un, it's like this halfway, like it's like it's saying like, I agape you, I love you no matter what. I love you. Phileo's like, love you, whatever. And so Peter says, I phileo you. Jesus again says, I agape you. Do, do you agape me? And Peter says, I phileo you. And then Jesus says, do you phileo me? And then Peter was grieved. Because Peter realized his lack of devotion and Jesus begins to show him this lack of devotion, this lack of everything given over to Jesus. And so this is a pretty profound moment. I don't know about you, but if I were talking to Jesus, this, is, this would be a pretty profound moment. Like, like he's literally talking to me, like me and Jesus, we're talking, right? And then he goes on and says, because he said to this term, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Essentially, he's, he's describing like assisted living, like a, like a home where like, where like when you get old and when you die, somebody else is going to dress you. Somebody else is going to get you where you need to go. And so Jesus is literally telling Peter how he's going to die. This is a pretty profound moment that Jesus is having with Peter. And in verse 19, it says that this is he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, Jesus said to him, catch this, please, please, please catch this. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. But catch this right here. This is the most important part of tonight. Please, if you don't hear anything else, please hear this. And it says this in verse 20, Peter turned. Peter turned. He had this moment with Jesus. They locked eyes. They had this profound moment where Peter realized what was wrong in his heart. And Jesus responds to him, follow me. 
Peter, after that moment is over, this profound moment, he turns and he sees John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Right, that's what John refers to himself in this, this gospel. Peter turned and saw John following them. The one who leaned back against him during the supper and it said, who is it, going, who is it that's going to betray you? He's describing who this is. So Peter turns and looks at John. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus. So now he, he's turning and looking at John. He, got, he was with Jesus. He had a moment with Jesus, right? You're Jesus in this moment, right? Okay. He had this moment with Jesus and then he gets distracted and he turns and he looks at John. And then he turns back to Jesus and he says, well, what about John? How is he going to die? What's going to happen to John? And Jesus' response is what I want you to catch tonight because our private relationship with Jesus is more, it should mean more to you than anything else that no matter what anybody else does, no matter what, what anybody else chooses to do with their life, no matter what they choose to give their life to, your relationship with Jesus, I pray, is enough for you. And until it's enough for you, it's never gonna work for you because sometimes we come into this room and we're like, Jesus, just fix my life. Ugh, I hate everything that's going on. I, I don't know what to do about this. Like, you're just not doing anything. You're not showing up for me. You're not doing what I want. You're not being the genie in a bottle that I want you to be. And we haven't realized that Jesus isn't a genie in a bottle, but he's a person that we can have a relationship with. But the genuine relationship with Jesus, the one that lasts no matter what anybody else does, is not one that is purely found in a building with a bunch of other people, but it's found by myself on my knees when nobody's around and God is still worth it for me in that moment. And most days, he's not. I'm being honest. Most days when I'm by myself and I so desperately want to want God, but I'm just so caught up. Why? Because I've had moments with Jesus at a summer camp when I was 12 and God called me to do this very thing. That's why I'm standing here. But somewhere along the road in between that moment from, I had another moment, profound moment when I was 18 where God called me to do something that I was, I was going the opposite way. But in between those moments, I do what Peter did. I had this moment with Jesus and then I got distracted by something else. I got distracted by somebody else. And remember, right before this, the last thing Jesus said to Peter was, follow me. Follow me. And then Jesus, and then Peter gets distracted with John, turns back to Jesus, and says, Lord, what about this man? And I can only imagine as Jesus looked into Peter's eyes and says this, if it's my will that he remain until I come, essentially, Peter, if I want him to never die, if that's my will, what is that to you? Why does that matter to you? That's what he's saying. And then he finishes with his statement. Remember, before Peter got distracted, Jesus says, follow me. And then Jesus says again to Peter, who cares what happens to John, what I do with John, or what happens in John's life? 
If I, if I let him live forever, what is that to you? And he ends with this statement. You follow me. You follow me. Now the original statement was, Peter, follow me. But Peter turned and got distracted by somebody else doing something else and something that wasn't meant for him, wasn't called for him. And Jesus says, what is that to you? Why does that matter to you? You follow me. You follow me. And I, I, that, is, that is so, so much of where we are as a generation, where we are as a body of Christians who are trying to be Christians, is that, is that we have these moments with Jesus, these highs with Jesus, and then we turn and we get distracted in comparison because I don't have what they have, or I don't look how they look, or, 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 or I'm not getting what they're getting, or I, I come to these things and I don't really even feel God, and, and I want to feel God, or I pray and nothing happens, and I read my Bible and I don't understand it, and I get distracted and I get distracted and I get distracted and I begin to focus more on other things and other people and I forget that I have to follow Jesus for me I've got to follow Jesus for me and I believe Jesus is looking at your distracted mind tonight because I know we're all distracted in some way or the other I believe Jesus is looking at you with your, with your split heart, half devoted to this, kind of devoted to that, and I'll just put Jesus on top. And I believe Jesus is saying to you tonight, you follow me. You follow me. Doesn't matter what John's doing. Doesn't matter what happens to John. I don't know what John is for you in your life. It may be a person. It may be a thing. It may be a, a path for your life or a future for your life or a, or a purpose for your life that you're trying to, to put above God. But can I tell you, Jesus is saying, look back at me. You follow me. You follow me. But that can only happen in the private moments with Jesus. That kind of relationship, that kind of devotion to Jesus can only happen, can only be built, created not even built or created because I believe these moments are powerful when we're together. So please don't hear me that these moments aren't powerful. They are. But if that's all it is for you, if it's just coming to church, Man, I should be, man, for me, I'm being honest, and I'm going to wrap up here, I promise. For me, I'm being real with you. I want to encounter God in my living room more than I do in this building. I want to encounter God in my car And that moment with God speaking to me, God showing me something in my life that I need to change, like that moment was so special to me and I don't even have to post about it. Why do I say all this? This is where I'm going to close, I promise. 
why do I say all this? Because it's like, what's, what's the point? Why does it matter? We all long for meaning and purpose. We all long to be loved. We all long to be recognized. We all long to be held. We all long for genuine relationship. And and I believe, I don't know about you, but I believe all of those things, all of those desires, all of those longings were given to you. I believe that they're normal, natural, and real. But they were given to you by the very person, the only person that they can be met in. See, Jesus gave you all these longings in your heart to be known, to be loved, to be recognized. But it's only in God where those things will be met. And so we hear that, we hear that somewhere, we hear that at church, and so we think, okay, well, I just gotta come to church and and maybe I'll get that. Maybe I'll get the longings in my heart. Maybe they'll finally be fulfilled. Maybe my anxiety will be finally gone. Maybe my depression will finally be done with. Maybe what I'm struggling with, the addiction that I can't break, will finally be gone. And so what do we do? We come to God wanting something instead of wanting God. And that's what I think is the whole point of this private over public life is that when we treat God just like a, like a public part of our calendar, we treat God like this genie in a bottle instead of a relationship. When we say, no, God is actually worth my time by myself. God is actually worth my whole life. So not just church and not just certain things I got to check off. Like, no, like my, my, my God is actually worth the, that, that personal time. Again, if everyone were to leave, if everyone were to quit, if everyone were to give up, God is worth that. He's, his, my relationship, what I can have in him, the longings that are met in him, it's worth it even if everybody else were gone, even if none of this happened, if I was just by myself, God was still worth it. What happens then is I begin to have a relationship with a God. Not because I want just want things from God, but I actually want more of God. And when I want more of God, I've stopped treating him like a genie in a bottle. And so when I stop treating him like a genie in a bottle, we can actually have a relationship And when that relationship begins to actually be built and cultivated in private moments and not just in public moments, in both of those, private and public, then and only then does the things that God's promised you begin to actually be fulfilled in your life. Then and only then does the thing, this whole God thing actually begin to work because now it's not about what can I get from God, but it's about God, I want more of you. I wanna look more like you, I wanna be more like you. I've received a love from someone that I honestly don't deserve. I'm honestly a pretty terrible person sometimes. I don't deserve this love, but you've given me this love. And so now it's not a genie in a bottle, but it's thankfulness and gratitude because God has given me everything. And so in, in, in response to a God that's given me everything, I wanna give everything to Him. 
So now it's not a genie in a bottle, but it's a relationship. And when it's a relationship, then there's some, then there's some actual things that God begins to do in you that he's been waiting this whole time to do in you that anxiety that he wants to break the depression that he wants to break the addiction that he wants to break the 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 the, the mindset and perspective changes that he wants to make they actually begin to happen because now you're in the relationship with the person who's who's created the longings in your heart who's created the desires in your heart and it can actually meet them unlike anything else in this world he can actually church and if God is just living with good morals and checking off boxes then we'll never actually experience how this relationship was designed to work I believe relation, hear me please, and this is where I find relationship with God, I pray, can be found here. Encounters with God, I pray, can be found here. But you're only here for an hour and a half, and then you go and you spend, you spend six days out in the world. And so for the people in the room who feel like, man, my relationship with God is either struggling or I just, honestly, it just like doesn't feel like it's working. Like what's even the point? Which I feel like, honestly, for real, we're kind of all in that spot at some point during the day, some point during the week. And so I, I pray, I pray that encounters with God happen here in this, in these, in this building. hardship you face, no matter what, what grief you experience, no matter what trauma you experience, when you cultivate, when you grow, when you actually, when you actually prioritize your relationship with God, when nobody else is around, that is what will build you, sustain you for the moments that suck, for the moments that are hard to bear, for the moments where you want to give up and quit on this thing called life. And what I want for you is that kind of relationship with God because can I tell you, it's real. You may not think it's real tonight because you haven't experienced anything different, but just like sometimes God works, sometimes he doesn't. A relationship with God can actually work and you can actually experience him and you, you actually can actually be, be satisfied in God. But you've, you've got to give him more than just Sunday got to give him more than just these moments. Let's pray.